Um, just one quick announcement. First of all, um, I just got a new car. Um, apparently, somebody left their keys here. So if you want that, it's up here after church. Um, and then also, uh, this coming Friday, Acts, uh, our ministry, Acts at our church support, um, is having the, all the cans from the canathons from the area um, schools that have been collecting, and all of that stuff this coming Friday, I think I said that right, this coming Friday is being uh, sorted through and then um, getting prepared to be distributed. So um, just if you want to jump in there and help out, um, it's from 9 o'clock to 1 o'clock, and there will probably be people there throughout the day. If you just can come for a couple hours and then have to slip out, that's fine. But they'll need a lot of hands-on uh, for this coming Friday at Acts at Severn Bogart. Um, we are finishing up today our series on God and government, and uh, today I wanted to talk about uh, this particular topic of socialism and capitalism, but before we get to that, I just need a couple of words of introduction uh, about God's heart for the poor. Um, if you've read through the scriptures any, just even a little bit, you recognize that God has a deep concern and heart for those that are in poverty. And so let's read a couple of verses here. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 17 says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and God will reward that person for what they have done. James chapter 1 and verse 27, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, that is religion, Christianity that God sees as genuine, is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. Widows and orphans, it's very important for me to make this point here, widows and orphans in Jesus' day were two people groups that could not support themselves. They were incapable of providing for themselves. Uh, a woman, uh, women did not work in Jesus' day, and men provided for their families. Women just didn't work, wasn't part of their society. And so um, if a woman's husband died, uh, she didn't have family to fall back on, then she'd be put out on the street, she'd be uh, left destitute. And so what they would do in Jesus' day is the farmers would come along, harvesters would come along, and any of the, any of the wheat or any of the corn or whatever that fell to the ground um, would be called the gleanings, and the poor were allowed to come in behind that. Orphans, widows, uh, lepers, people who, who couldn't work for a living, who were not capable of working for a living, were allowed to come into the fields behind, and they were able to put together enough flour, enough uh, you know, substance to be able to support themselves for a while. And so this was one of the systems that the ancient Hebrews had in place to provide for those who could not provide for themselves. And so the Bible says here, hey, look, Christianity that is true, Christianity that is genuine, is this, it remembers the widow's and the orphans, those who are not capable, and you'll hear me use that phrase several times throughout this sermon, those who are not capable of providing for themselves. Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, Jesus himself said, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn him away from the one who wants to borrow from you, because they're in some sort of a bad spot. Paul, quoting Jesus, wrote in Acts chapter 20, and verse 35, last verse here, he said, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. And he's referring here, he's thinking about those who are not capable of providing for themselves, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now I could go on and on and on, verse after verse after verse, Old Testament, New Testament, it's consistent throughout. God has a heart for those who are in poverty, those who are incapable of providing for themselves. God has a heart for them. And so therefore, as followers of Jesus Christ, so should we. Now, perhaps you have heard in recent weeks, months, uh, with all the election going on, that if you are somebody who believes in capitalism, if you're somebody who is a Republican who believes in capitalism, that you are somebody who is cold, you are somebody who has a hard heart, you are somebody who is uh, fixed on greed, on self, and you really don't care about people who are in the poor. Perhaps you've even wondered 
yourself. By the way, I'm talking so fast because I got like an hour's worth of material to get through in 30 minutes. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to talk fast. And so perhaps you've even wondered to yourself if you heard people on the liberal left talk about how they have such a care and a concern for those who are disenfranchised, for those who are marginalized, for those who cannot provide for themselves. And so it seems like sometimes when we listen to the liberal left, it seems like those folks care more for the poor. And so we're left as Christians going, well, should I be on that side of the equation or can I be on this side of the equation? Where do, what does the Bible have to say about all this? And so that's what we want to go to today. We want to see what does the Bible teach and allow the Bible to give clarity, to allow the Bible to resolve some of the confusion around this issue of whether or not we ought to follow a socialist economic plan or whether we ought to follow a capitalist economic plan. What exactly is the biblical plan that the Bible um, affirms most? And so let's, uh, let's turn our attention now to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Thessalonica, which is up around uh, the northern shores of the GNC. You don't care about that. I forgot to get a map this morning. But anyhow, it's right near north of Greece. And so this town of Thessalonica, Apostle Paul had planted a church there on his second missionary journey. And he did this. It was a church in the midst of a hostile culture to Christianity. And so Paul writes about a whole host of issues. And one of the issues that he addresses is what to do about folks who are capable of providing for themselves, but are unwilling to do it. And so let's stand and read together what Paul has to say, what the Bible has to say. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. Here we go. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. You may be seated. All right, let's kind of walk through these verses together, and then we're going to extrapolate that out into a larger conversation about government systems. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. We gave you this guiding principle about how to deal with, how to treat those who are capable, remember that key word, capable, not widows, not orphans, people who are capable of providing for themselves, and yet they will not do it. He says, this is the general rule on how to deal with that kind of person. If a man will not work, he shall not Eat. You say, Gordon, what does he mean by that? I, well, I think it's pretty clear what he means by that. He's saying that if a guy is sitting at the house and he's watching Jerry Springer day after day and he's capable of work, that person deserves no help. That person deserves no assistance. That person deserves don't bring them any meals, don't pay their light bill. If that person is capable of work and they will not do it, then you just allow that person to go hungry. Paul acknowledges here that hunger is a great motivator. Hunger is a great motivator. It's a primal instinct, and that when hunger kicks in, that person who refuses to go out, refuses to provide for themselves, refuses to provide, that in that situation, he says, you know what, hunger will kick in, and that primal instinct will get that person to do what it is that they're supposed to be doing, going to work. You know, people at a church like this, filled with hard-working folks, we understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. We understand that laziness ought not to be rewarded. We understand that idleness is not next to godliness, but rather that idleness is the devil's workshop. Uh, Paul continues on in verse 11. He says, we hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. So we got these traits of some of the people who are living there in Thessalonica. 
And one of the traits is that they're idle, that is their, their laziness. Look at what that word translates. They're busy bodies. They're people who go around talking all the time, but they're unproductive. Maybe they're at work, but they're just talking all the time. They're not getting anything done. And some of you work alongside people like this. Some of you employ people like this, and you constantly have to be coming around behind them, constantly reminding them of what it is that they need to be doing. Verse 12, such people, these kinds of idle, unproductive, lazy people, such people we command, he says, we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. I don't know how the Bible could be more clear. Verse 10, he says, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. And then he restates that same principle here, but in the affirmative, he says, verse 11, we command you to earn the bread that you eat. Go to work. Work for it. No one should be rewarded, the Bible says, for being idle. Now, there's one more component that I want to point out that Paul uh, reveals here. He says, and that is how Paul believes um, we ought to treat a person, how a person should feel, how we ought to treat them, and then subsequently how they should feel if they're unwilling to earn their livelihood. Verse 14, he says, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with that person in order that or so that they may feel ashamed. The Apostle Paul wants the person who is, un, who is capable but is unwilling to go out and work for a living. He says, I want that person to feel ashamed. The Bible thinks, Paul thinks, but the Bible thinks. I mean, this is part of the holy words of Scripture that along with not getting any food, that person should feel a sense of shame. Uh, they're taking from others. They're asking for handouts. And yet they're not willing, even though they're capable, they're not willing to work. You say, okay, Gordon, I, I hear the biblical principle there. I see what Paul's teaching. I understand where he's coming from. But i got to be honest with you, it sounds a little harsh. It sounds almost like we've been talking about, cold-hearted, to not be willing to provide food for somebody. I mean, how, how, can, you, how can you do that? How can you allow somebody to be hungry? Well, a couple of reasons why the Apostle Paul is so adamant about this principle. Number one is, it may sound harsh until you've lived with somebody like this. It may sound harsh until you've lived with somebody like this. Some of you have family members. Some of you have coworkers, uh, people who are busybodies, right? They're always going around talking, but no productivity happening. And a person like that, uh, if you've lived alongside of them, you understand the mentality that they have that is that everybody owes them something. Maybe it's because of a drug habit. Maybe it's because of laziness. Maybe it's because of a personality defect. But friends, it may seem harsh to treat somebody like this, to allow that primal instinct of hunger to kick in until you've lived with somebody like this in your life. And you recognize it's the only thing that's going to, right? Kick them out the door, get them off the couch, and get them doing what they should, the Bible says, be doing. Secondly, here's why Paul's so adamant about dealing with people this way. Number two, he knows that there is dignity in work. There's dignity in work. I remember the first dollar I ever made. I was 12 years old. I went over to Mr. LaGuardia's house. Yes, he's an Italian guy, lived in Delaware. And uh, I went over to his house. I spent a Saturday all day over there in the hot sun. I was pulling weeds. I was hoeing in his garden. I was doing stuff around the house. I was helping him out in any way I could, and I remember at the end of the day, he handed me a check for like $23, and I went home, ran home, showed that check to my dad. I was beaming. I was so proud. My dad was so proud of me because there is dignity when you work and then 
receive a paycheck for that, when you receive the due return for your work. There's dignity involved, friends, when we receive a paycheck. I didn't ask them to put the scriptures up on the screen this morning, but I just want to let you know that Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, the Bible there tells us that God works, that part of his creative activity, God called that work, which is why on the seventh day, God rested, right? He had to take a rest. I mean, he had been tired from all of his work, and I know he was just talking. You say, I know that he couldn't talk and work. I mean, God spoke everything into order, but anyhow, it was work for God. It drained God, and so he needed to rest himself from all the work that he had done, and God later in chapter 2, before the fall had taken place, put Adam and Eve in the garden and told them to work the garden. So work came before the fall. Work is not a part of the curse, friends. Work gives us meaning. Work gives us dignity to our human lives. Number three, another reason why Paul understood that we needed to, uh, why he wanted to put this principle in place is that he knew that there is a finite supply of resources, a finite supply. There's a limited supply of resources out there. Um, the person who is sitting on the couch at home and they're just receiving their checks, um, they're just taking, 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 taking. That's, that's their life. They're consuming, consuming, consuming. I was talking to a guy uh, just this past Thursday night. He was a, a psychiatrist here in the territory. We were having dinner together, not because I needed some therapy, but in any case, we were having, some, um, we were having a conversation, and he was telling me about a, a patient of his um, several years back ago who said to him, why would I want to go and work a job when I can sit at the house and make the same amount of money? And he said this went on for several years. And he said that this person, finally, he challenged them on it because they were starting to have all sorts of health problems and stuff, and he challenged them on it, and the lady never came back to practice again. See, he wanted to insist on the fact that, one, there's dignity. Why should you go out and work? Because there's dignity that you will receive, self-respect that you will receive by going out and earning your livelihood. It's a biblical concept, but also because at some point, that supply of resources that comes to the person that's taking, 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 that, that supply of resources will run out. The Chinese proverb says that if you give a man a fish, right, if you give a man a fish, you will feed him for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, you will feed him for a lifetime. You see, at some point in giving a person a fish every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, for months on end, years on end, eventually you're going to run out of fish. But if you teach that person to fish, then they can feed themselves. So Paul is very pragmatic. He understood that Thessalonica First Church had a limited amount of resources, that they could do a lot of good, they could help a lot of people who were not capable of providing for themselves. And he knew that that was the case, but he also understood that there's a limited amount of resources going around. And so he, could, he recognized that they could not help everybody perpetually. In case you think this is an isolated teaching in the scriptures, I want to point you to a couple other verses. Paul said 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for the first time he wrote them a letter. Chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he writes, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you. Verse 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of non-believers, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. He goes on to say, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, and to help the weak, those who are incapable of providing for themselves. Galatians chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, <coughs> Paul says, Each one should test his own actions. 
then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load, should carry his own load, should take care of his own self and his own family. Okay, let's take everything that we've learned here from the Bible and let's extrapolate that out into a conversation because we're in the God and government series. Let's extrapolate that out into a conversation about social systems, about how to take care of the poor in our society. You've got socialism on one hand, which is just communism without a gun. That's what it is, okay? Socialism is the idea where there's a redistribution of wealth, where there's a pie and that pie has lots of pieces and that some people have a larger piece of that pie and other people have a much smaller piece of that pie. And so we're going to take part pieces of the pie from those that have a large piece and we're going to redistribute that we're going to send that across to those that have a small piece of the pie in order to take care of them and so that's the idea behind socialism now the problem is what happens when that large slice of the pie runs out of pie what happens when you have to erase that off the board and it's gone well what you end up doing in government systems is then you have to go to some outside source of resources some bank over here called china and we have to take money from them and we have to borrow it to continue to provide the policies and the programs and the resources and the groceries and all the sorts of stuff for the people who have the little small piece of the pie to continue to sustain them. So what we see in the socialist uh, prince or the socialist system is it's a it is giving a man a fish and you're feeding him for a day, and it, that's an unsustainable system. And that's what socialism is. Okay. Now capitalism, what capitalism believes is that you have the pie, you have those that have a large slice of the pie, and lots of other folks have a much smaller slice of the pie. So here's our pie. What capitalism teaches is that you can grow the pie, and that the pie can become bigger and bigger and bigger. What capitalism is is that there is an infinite and indefinite amount of resources available. And so even though this guy has a little tiny slice of the pie, that as the pie grows and it gets on out here further and further and further, you see how my hands are doing, he gets a larger slice of that pie. And so that's what capitalism is. Capitalism has been built around the idea um, that each person has a slice of the pie. Yes, yeah, some have it larger, some have it smaller, but that we're going to grow the pie as a whole, that it, is, that it can grow indefinitely. So I, that's very simplistic. Uh, you can spend some time. I would encourage you to go to the Acton Institute, A-C-T-O-N, guy by the name of Father. What is it, JP? This, where's he at? Yeah, yeah, don't put me on the spot like that. Anyway, um, anyway, one of our Sunday school classes did a, did a class several years ago. It was called Moral Capitalism, and one of the guys in there, his name is Father. Ask me after, ask JP after church today. Okay, so um, anyhow, but the Acton Institute, and you can learn more about this. You can learn about how capitalism is a much more moral system, a much more biblically-minded system. But um, again, I, I know that's very simplistic, but let's apply all of this to Paul's perspective of working for a living in these two systems. In a socialist system, everybody gets regardless of their work. And that's what our modern welfare state has become here in, this, in the U.S. We have adopted a socialist system in caring for those at the bottom and caring for those who are marginalized. Some of those in that system are capable, key word, are capable of providing for themselves and yet we continue to funnel resources to those people, which violates the scriptures, which is why we're over here with China and we're borrowing money to continue to pour into the programs and the policies and the groceries and all those sorts of things that we're doing in an unbiblical fashion, and it's drawing our nation uh, to the brink of crisis. Um, in the last eight years, what we have seen, it, seen was an explosion of poverty 
at the bottom level. We have tons more people now on the government system and the welfare part of the welfare state because that's what you get with socialism. Uh, rather than a hand up, it's a hand out perpetually. Uh, we have a church member here who works in the inner city parts of Monroe, and he will tell you that the charity that's being done in some of those inner city parts of Monroe, some of the charity that the poor are receiving is what he calls toxic charity. Toxic charity, because it is a violation of Scripture. You have people who are capable and yet who are disincentivized to work by the very system that is there to help them get out of the poverty that they're in. It is an unbiblical system. I'm going to give you the solution to poverty right here. You ready? Here it comes. Friends, what the poor need is not more stuff. We tend to think that the poor in our society need more stuff. They do not need more stuff. What they need is access to the institutions that will get them out of poverty. That is, we need, they need access to the pathways out of poverty. Access to the pathways out of poverty. They don't need more stuff. They need access to the pathways, the institutions that will help bring them, lift them out, give them a pathway out of poverty. Now let me say this final word, and then we'll get to our most important question. Capitalism and socialism. These are human systems, okay, and they're flawed because of that. Capitalism can very easily become greedy and become greed-driven. Um, you have a farmer here in the U.S. who is, raises his uh, corn crop, and it costs X amount of dollars for him to be able to function his farm. And so the federal government comes in and they give him money. They subsidize um, his farming because we want farmers here in the U.S., at least that's what we're told. There's a farmer over here in Nigeria where famine has hit and there's mass population and uh, the UN and government money that our government sends to the UN buys food that then goes to Nigeria. Well, the corn farmer in Nigeria has no one to sell his corn to because the prices over here in the U.S. are artificially lowered. So that the UN can then buy that artificially lowered price. This is big business. This is capitalism. This is greed. And then can sell that lower price to all the folks and keep them in business in Nigeria. Rather than what Donald Trump has been uh, advocating for is fair trade, free trade. And he's been consistent about this. That is, get the government out of the system and then allow capitalism at its best to be able to cause everybody, the, the pie to enlarge, and for everybody to prosper across, across the way. But again, these are human systems, and so therefore they are flawed systems. Um, just want to make that point. Okay, well, that's our treatment of this subject, which means Gordon's not going to have a job after church today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> which means it's time for us to ask our most important question, which is, what difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I mean, I appreciate the conversation, but Nigerian farmers, you know, I mean, I, I got, I'm just trying to get food on the table and get my kids off to soccer practice. What, how does any of this impact where I live? Well, uh, a guy that's been in the story and the headlines lately is by the name of Dr. Ben Carson. I mentioned him before here. That's probably been over a year ago. Dr. Ben Carson's been in the news lately, and he has supported Trump in the election. He ran for president himself in the Republican primaries. Um, his first major national splash uh, was in the 2013 um, 
National Prayer Breakfast. He gave a speech at the 2013 National Prayer Breakfast. And uh, with President Obama sitting right there next to him, who was, he was invited by President Obama, and he said, you sure you all want me to come? And uh, they said, oh, yeah, we want you to come. And so he came and he talked about how Obamacare is a socialist policy, how it is unsustainable, how it does not add to the dignity of human life, but rather undignifies uh, individuals, and uh, how it's an unsustainable program. No way for us to pay for it. See, Dr. Ben Carson got these ideas uh, from growing up in inner-city Detroit. Uh, he grew up, he and his brother, his mom was a single mom, and she worked two jobs, sometimes three jobs, all through their childhood. And it's one thing to do that for a year or two, but all through their childhood. She refused to take public assistance, government assistance. And uh, her family and her friends said, why are you working so hard? Why are you giving to everything you got? I mean, you're working yourself to death. Why don't you just go home and just take what the government's offering you? And here was her response. She said, I don't want what the government is offering me because everybody I know who is on government assistance never gets out of poverty. They end up creating a dependency, and they never lift themselves out of poverty. Look at her son today. He was chief pediatric, the chief pediatric brain surgeon at Johns Hopkins University. He built the premier pediatric brain surgery center in all of the world. And Dr. Ben Carson says, if it wasn't for the drive of my mother and the value of work that she placed deep inside of me, I would never be the man I am today and I would never have accomplished the things I've accomplished in my life. Friends, Dr. Ben Carson is also one of the most sincere, one of the most genuine, one of the finest Christian men you will ever meet. Now, what's all that have to do with your life and mine? Some of us have people in our lives who are dependent. They are capable of independence. They are capable of doing it on their own perhaps because of a drug habit, perhaps because of laziness, perhaps because of a personality defect. I don't know what it is. But they are capable of doing life on their own. And some of us have those people in our lives, and they are leeching off of you. And it's time for you to say one simple word, and that is no. One of our elders said just a few weeks ago, we need to say the word no more often. Here's what you can expect when you say no to a person who is capable, okay? Key word there, okay? The Bible understands widows, orphans, those who are not capable. But here's what you can expect when you find someone who is capable and you tell them no. They will kick. They will scream. They will throw a temper tantrum. They will accuse you of being heartless. They will accuse you of being greedy. They will accuse you of being cold. All of this intended to manipulate you to go back into providing for them. They'll say that you're harsh. And here's what you're really doing, friends. Get this. This is not me up here giving you my ideas. Please don't understand this. Don't, don't, don't think that. I mean, I'm just, this is all I do every week, preparing, getting ready, sharing what God thinks. Um, what you're really doing is, You are treating them with tough love. Tough love. That's why they call it, it's tough, right? Because that's why they call it tough love. 
Socialism is a system that is built on easy love. Easy love. And so we need to be brave. We need to be bold to say that, you know what, I'm going to treat you in the most loving way that I can. And I'm going to honor God's word and I'm going to share with you tough love. Friends, charity can be toxic. And charity that is toxic isn't really helping anybody. It grows those at the bottom. It creates greater dependency. And that is unsustainable. You know this to be true in your personal dealings with people. I mean, if somebody came to you week after week after week, provide my groceries for you, help me with my, my light bill, help me with my mortgage, week after week after week, eventually you would go broke. Eventually, that same person that's coming to you every week, watching you fail and paying your own mortgage, watching you lose your home, watching you get your car repossessed, what they'll do is when they tap you of all the resources that you have, they'll go down to the next house down the road, they'll knock on their door, and they'll drain them of all those resources. Instead, what we need to do is what the Bible tells us to do, which is to cut them off, allow the primal instinct of hunger to kick in for those who are capable of doing it, and allow that primal instinct of hunger to get in. They'll get up off the couch. They'll stop knocking on everybody's door because everybody says no. And they'll eventually go and provide for themselves what they should do. One last word. As I've been talking here this morning, perhaps you've realized in some area of your life, I, you know what? I've taken the low-hanging fruit. I've allowed myself to become dependent on others that I should not be dependent on. Maybe you've been caught up in this system. Well, here's what I would tell you to do. Make the decision to burn the ships, to leave yourself no way out, to refuse the government assistance, force yourself out of the nest like Ben Carson's mom. You know, yesterday morning, I did not want to go run nine miles. I had no interest in it. It was cold. Covers were warm. I wanted to get more, more sleep every you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I don't want to get up at 5 a.m. and go run. I'm not interested in doing that. Every morning I have to have a little conversation with myself. But Gordon, you know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. And so even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, you go and you do it anyway. Friends, the only thing standing between you and independence in this country, we have a word for it, it's called liberty. The only thing standing between you and independence is the decision to refuse the handout. The only thing standing between you and dignity and a greater sense of self-respect is to refuse the handout for those who are capable of working and providing for themselves. Friends, be dependent on others, including our government, no longer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for surprising words. We thank you for words that ring true, even though, Lord, it may not be our own personal experience because of the environment in which we live. God, may we be a people and a country that seeks to honor your word. And God, we recognize also that when we get out of step with your word, it's when things begin to fall apart. Or may we take the truth that we've heard this morning and wherever we need to apply it, 
in our personal lives. Give us the courage. Give us the fortitude to say no. Lord, as we look toward this table, representing your shed blood and your broken body, we're reminded, God, that in our struggle of life, we are not alone. Lord, you gave us a great gift. It's a gift of eternal life with you in heaven. Someday, Lord, our struggle in this life will be done. And it's only because of what you have done for us. You went to work on our behalf. And Lord, we are so grateful for it. In these quiet moments this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts, that you would lead us into your truth, that our lives might more clearly reflect the truth of your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.